Welcome to your first 15 pages. I'm Sandra O'Donnell, an agent and book coach with over 20 years of experience in the publishing industry. And I'm Judd Vowell, a writer working on my fourth book, willing to share my experience of what's worked and what hasn't with listeners like you. Each week, we're going to coach you through what it takes to write, edit, and publish a book and help you go from writer to author. In this episode, we'll talk about what not to do when you're creating a world, and we define the elements of setting. So we're going to put a link in the show notes to a really good interview that Judd and I watched between Kelly Link and Lev Grossman. Right. And the fun part of this is that Kelly really does talk about how she her goal is to do as little work as possible. I mean, that's a direct quote. As the author. Right. Because she wants the reader you, the, us to do the work. To do the work and to right. fill in those those gaps and those those places in the description so that we see it in our own heads. Right. Yeah. And and, and the funny thing about that clip too is that the interviewer Lev is, yeah. is is saying, I can't believe you you spend so much time building these worlds and right. you change each book. And she's like. I don't really spend much time at all. That, yeah. That's you. you. That's you doing you've the done work. that. Yeah. So as readers, we don't even realize it. And that's to be able to do that in a way so brilliantly. Right. That you can bring your reader into that world and that reader thinks that you've spent months creating the world. Yes. What she has done brilliantly is to sprinkle those seeds. That's right. Become a gardener. Yep. So that we can then grow that world for ourselves. That is the right. goal. That's, That's the goal. what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then another little nugget. It's a fun little piece that was written by Charlie Jane Anders, who has a new book that just came out in February called... Okay. The City in the Middle of the Night. Right. Just came out in February. Okay. She's won a, a number of awards. She wrote an article back... I think it was in 2013 this came out, but it's highly cited. I mean, it gets cited all the time okay. as the seven deadly sins of world building. Oh, So it's a fun little piece about what not to do. Okay, great. One of the things she says is not thinking about the basic infrastructure. This is for fantasy or fiction or magical realism, things where people really need to know how your world works. Right. Not thinking about how people eat or what they eat or who takes away the garbage or what happens to bodily waste. Sure. How do people get around? I know. What's I, the transportation? Okay. You know. That's right. I think writers, a lot of times doing this kind of thing, get very invested in... The architecture. The architecture and how things like that work. And they think that's interesting to us. Yeah. So we need to, if it works for your story and it's important and, you know, one of the examples that she uses is if everybody's eating algae for a reason, right? then tell Enjoy us it. that. Yeah. But if that's not important, right. don't tell us that. It may be interesting to you as right. the writer. But you got to really think about how, how much does my to your story. reader want to know that's right. about things like this. And does it tie back to the inciting incident? Right. And the exactly. reason and the why of your story. The second thing on her list is not explaining why events are happening. I love disaster movies. <laughs> They're kind of fun. And I typically love really bad disaster movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know Those what it is, too. but I love what did I watch? bad I, I've disaster watched one movies. Recently, and it was, you know, I, it was one of those I want to turn turn my brain off for a couple yeah. of hours. But it, it, there's it something was about the rock, and there's some kind of was it the earthquake one? Yeah, Isn't California that awesome? San Andreas. Yeah, but he okay. So that that's a great example of a movie that breaks all breaks that rule like twenty times. Yeah, right. We never understand. Okay, so we understand there's a, a massive earthquake, but we never understand why. Right. Things are happening the in the sequence that they're happening. Sure. You know, it's just blowing. It doesn't matter. Stuff is just being blown right. up, right? Yes. Boom, boom, boom. The buildings are falling in. Disbelief. Yeah. Right. But if you're writing a book about that, as sure. opposed to a big screen, you know, you know you're putting together a, a vehicle for the rock. That's it. You need to have us understand why things are happening the way they're happening. Of course. I'll go back to Ken Follett. There's a book that he wrote called Pillars of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And it was about the cathedrals that were built kind of from the Middle Ages forward. Yep. This is the Catholic Church, and there's a lot of politics about the Catholic Church. But there's also all of this brilliant work around architecture and how buildings were held together. Okay. And at one point... The cathedral that the, one of the main characters has been working on for like decades falls in. Oh. Wow. And we have to know why. Sure. And he does a really good job of explaining how the ark was not perfected to hold the weight and yada, yada, yada. But it's fascinating because we understand why that happened. Now, mm-hmm. the result of that was impact to people's personal lives and to the politics of the church and all this other stuff that came from this arc, which becomes a metaphor, Mm -hmm. caving in on itself. But we needed to understand why in order to follow the rest of the story. Brilliantly done. So you can't have a church that someone's worked on for decades fall in and there not be a reason why. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you... I think that's a you know that's a great example a gr- and a great point on on her part to show us you have to lead your reader a little bit through the story, but you can't just have things strange things especially happening right without explaining why they're happening and why they're happening now. Yeah. So another thing was creating fictional versions of real life human ethnic groups. That never go beyond one dimension. And I think the most perfect example of this is the Jar Jar Binks character that everybody hated so much from Star Wars, right? So he had human elements. Right. Jar Jar Binks. But never evolved. You know. Ever. And so everybody ended up really just hating that character. So I think that's... Yeah. George Lucas listened and cut him out. And, and if you're writing fiction, when you have my most irritating example of this, <laughs> and I know people love these books, and I read them early on, the Janet Ivanovich books. Okay, right. The main character, I think her name was Stephanie. For me, that know. character never evolved. Right. And she seemed like a stereotypical character, and she just never moved beyond, I mean, she never learned how to use her gun. You know, it was just like, you're a private detective. Learn to use your gun. You're a bounty hunter. <laughs> Learn great. to use your gun, yeah, Stephanie. Really. You know, so it, <laughs> if you're going to create a character, mm-hmm. and you're, especially if you're going to go over a series mm-hmm. of books, which fantasy and fiction, uh, science fiction and 
magical realism tend to go across a series, have your characters evolve. Don't keep them held, you know, at one place for that entire series. Like your character, we've talked about making this into a series. We have. Julie is going to grow into her mediumship. Absolutely. And she, if you're going to have her be this character, she's going to have to grow into that. Right. You know, she's going to stumble. Of course. She's going to screw up, you know, but she needs to, it needs to build. Right. Yeah. This, and that's a lot about character, but yeah, there are yeah. people in this world who do not change ever. Right. They're not very interesting. <laughs> we don't want to read a whole book about no, them. That's exactly right. Yeah. So have your characters evolve. That's a great yeah. one. I thought that was a really good one. Creating a monolithic social, political, cultural, or religious group. Interesting. So that we're going to talk about the elements of world building, or the elements. Right. Of, we're going to talk about the elements of setting here in a minute. What the elements are, and politics is an element of setting. It is. So if you if you're writing a story that needs to have a particular bent, political bent, or particular cultural or social mm-hmm. bent. Just like in real politics, it's not one note. It's right. not one element. You know, so the point here is that basically she says this in a few sentences, but everybody agrees on everything. Right. Because that doesn't ever happen. Because it doesn't happen. And it's and not it, interesting. And it doesn't feel real. <laughs> no, it's not real. Okay. So even your invented world should feel somewhat real. Yes. Yeah. Her fifth point is inventing a history that is to- that is totally logical. Uh, I love yes. this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just thinking in terms of, you know, not everything in life is logical. It doesn't no. all fit together perfectly. Never. Yeah. I think this is, these are so These smart. are great. The next one was is not really giving a strong sense of place, like what it smells like after it's been raining. Yeah. Which we're talking about right now. We are, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we we read with Tolkien and we read with Suzanne Collins. Right. I mean, you felt like you were there. Put us in place. Yes. Firmly right. in place. Right. Yeah. And then finally, introducing some superpower like magic or insane technology without fully accounting for how it would change society. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of fantasy writers... Just like to do cool things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, does it matter if it doesn't change something in your story or change society, as she says here? You and I were talking about this before we started recording. Apple yesterday had right. its big announcement. Right. And I am such a geek that I literally sat and watched the entire big thing. One of the cool things was the announcement that Alfred. Woodard and yeah. Jason Momoa are doing a show? television show together. Yeah. This is the cool part. Right. It's a dystopian series. Cool. Where there's been some kind of virus, and mm. the result of this virus is everyone loses their sight. Oh. So the only people left right. are blind. But now it's like... Decades or centuries later in the future, and they are starting to question if people ever did see. Oh, it's generations later. Generations later have lived with this blindness. And now they're starting to wonder if the world looks like. No one knows what the world looks like. 
I wonder how that. I'm intrigued. Isn't it I mean, crazy? It's, it's yeah, kind it's of like it's. It's almost like box. yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Where they have to blindfold themselves. Where they have to blindfold themselves. But this takes it a step further. Yep. So all of the yep. people who are living in this world are blind. Right. Isn't that amazing? It is. So think about the world building. I was going to say that how has are they to go tell? into I mean, just, just the possibilities of telling that. Well, when they when they were announcing Story. it, they had the people in the audience close their eyes, okay. and you were hearing things, you know, as the as they were describing this world, and you right. were hearing rain, and you were hearing, you know, so there's going to be a lot of emphasis on touch, mm-hmm. smell, sound, taste, just not sight. That but we, eight. as the audience, will be able to see because we're watching it. It's a television show, so we're going to be seeing. This experience of people without sight. Okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting experience to watch in world building. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're kind of geeky like me, it's a lot of fun to watch the Apple event and see what's coming. They're really disrupting a lot of things. They're disrupting the way, you know, they're, it's going to change for some people the way that we watch TV the types of events, the, t- the way we get information. And the other really cool announcement that came out of that is that Oprah is partnering with Apple and that. announced that she is creating a new Oprah book club. So for writers, oh my gosh. There you go. You know, wow. if you could get your book Ooh. picked up by Oprah's book club, wow. That's going to be a huge game changer. We should do an episode on how you get picked to be an Oprah book club. <laughs> if we had that magic. I know, right. Oh, my goodness. How do the books even get in front of her? Books get to her in all kinds of ways. Yeah. I mean, I just read an interview about, about an author that had her book picked up, and I'll try to find that. And, yes, and then we, we could talk that, about Yeah. Because it talked about what she did with her money. Yes. Because she was older. Was She's not that? old, but she was older. Who was that? Um, and where did we put Tajari, that? Tajari, that was Jones it. Or Tajari Jones or Tajari Jones. Is that her? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And her mother is actually from Huntsville. Yes. There is a connection. There is a Huntsville, Huntsville connection Alabama. to that. American Marriage? An American spell? Marriage okay. is the name of the book. Okay. And her mother worked for the library here, right? I think that's exactly right. Yeah. The Huntsville City Library. So, yeah, she did an interview where she talks about getting picked up by Oprah. And she talks about the phone call from The Oprah. phone call, which she thought was going to come from someone. <laughs> yeah, she kind of knew that it was getting yeah. to Oprah. Yeah, and, and it was supposed and, to be coming from someone on Oprah's staff. And when she picked up the phone, it was, and Oprah has a very distinct voice. Yes. It was actually Oprah's. Yeah. We'll find that story. Yeah. It's a great, great it, little read for aspiring writers. Absolutely. An American Marriage, great book. Is it? Yeah. So let's just go through really quickly some of the elements that you can include. Okay. And we're going to, again, we'll put all of this in the show notes. Sure. If you aren't a member on Patreon, highly recommend that you go to Patreon and subscribe to that very first tier, $5 level. You will get all of the show notes for for all of our podcasts. Five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. That's and you get all of the links, all the books we talk about with links to the books. Right. I mean, we make it as easy as possible for you guys to take this information and act on it by right. putting together show notes, which take a lot of time to produce, which is why we charge $5 a month. Because it's a go. lot of our time. That's spent on Patreon.com. Yep. Patreon.com slash your first 15 pages. There you go. There you go. So, yes, this would be a list of what you could include. 
Right. But Certainly not required things. Absolutely not. You really have to think about before you you get into setting and even before you get into world building, you have to think about what does my reader need to know? There you go. What does to be in the story and as you're going through your story, what does my reader need mm-hmm. to know in order to keep them moving forward and engaged? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first one is location. Okay. And that can be as broad as, do they need to know what country it is? Do they need to know what state? Right. Do you need to drill down into neighborhood? Is house important? For you, house was hugely important. It's basically a character in the book almost. Yeah. So it was, I had to describe that. You had to describe it. But Julie's move from Atlanta to this small town, Hope Ridge, that needed to be addressed. It did. But it wasn't, it's not huge. In the overall scheme of things. No. It's just how that, she right. gets there and she why she she's there. She choose to move back and choose to move into this house. Right. It was chosen for her. Right. And by you, life circumstances. Yeah. And you allude back to her time in Atlanta on occasion. Right. But only to make certain points. That's exactly right. Yeah. Very early on and then past that, it's, it's yeah unimportant. It's unimportant. In The Husband's Secret, which we've talked about quite a bit. Place is nebulous. This story could take place anywhere. So a great example of that is the book Big Little Lies. Right. Which takes place or is set in the book in Australia. Mm -hmm. But the show, the adaptation of it for HBO is set in the Pacific Northwest. So you can pick up that story and you could put it in Canada. You could put it in England. You could put it wherever because that is a story about relationships. That's it. People so, and relationships. Place, not very important. Time, not very important. There is in that, she does use the school year mm-hmm. kind of as an organizing device mm-hmm. because it. a lot of what happens happens around this group of, of parents mm-hmm. and their children all go to the same school. So school is very much an organizing device. But it's not where that school is, not super important. I don't know. All right. Right. In, in the setting of the story. So just know what you need to tell your readers right. on locale. Time of year. Is um, that important? Is it important? Is time of day. For you, time of day mm-hmm. is a crucial element. It is. Because these these ghostly visitations mm-hmm. happen at a very specific time. And that's one reason my protagonist, Julie, becomes curious. Right. Because it's the same time. Time is almost the launching point for your story. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So keying in on that time was... And you use time throughout your story. Yes. So huge element. Big, big element for me. To bring us into Julie's world. Yes. Yeah. And we talked last week when we were talking about organizing devices, we talked about how J.K. Rowling uses the school year. That's right. As or to orient us, mm-hmm. to bring us into place and time. She Each uses, of the first, what, four books? In the first four books. Or a school year. A school year. Okay. Elapsed time mm-hmm. can also be important in a lot of sci-fi. 
Thriller. And thrillers. Thrillers, you know, 24 big hours. Thrillers, yeah. That was Dan Brown's, one of his big things. Yes. He puts a time. He does. In every book. A time that something has to be done by, and it's typically 24 or 48 hours. What he calls the ticking clock. The ticking clock. So yeah. If you're writing thriller. Yeah. That can be a very big thing. The ticking clock can be a very big thing. So one of the books that I've referenced in the past is DOA. Yes, right. So in DOA, he literally, I think he has 24 hours to figure out Mm -hmm. why he's dying and who poisoned him. So the ticking clock in those thrillers is a really important element. And we've talked about Masterclass before. We'll put a link in the show notes. The Dan Brown Masterclass. So good if you're writing thrillers. So yeah, it's, it's so so good. And I like probably most people have only read The Da Vinci Code by him, and that would have been when it first came out. But right. still, as a writer resource, yeah, he's a great great speaker. It's not really an interview and masterclass; they yeah. just kind of sit there and talk. Yeah, but it's just it's just well it's worth the watch. Yeah, yeah. And he also talks about how he does research for his books, which is really good. Mm-hmm. I took. Something like you know, 16 pages of notes on his he, masterclass. Okay, so he does, just as long as we're talking about this, yeah. yeah, he does a whole, he gets deep into setting. He does, he does. Because you know, his settings are real places. His And he travels to them. Yeah. It's super important to him that he travels to, he also talks about how, you know, he can. It's, it's such a terrible places. job to have to travel to Italy yeah. and you know go through these beautiful churches or these beautiful architectural buildings or whatever. <laughs> Poor Dan Brown. I know. Feel right. so sorry for him. Yes. But it is important to him to go there and to figure out what those physical details are. And then he talks about how you have to distill mm-hmm. all of that research down. Into the most crucial elements. There you go. So you don't want to spend 20 pages talking about this building, this beautiful architectural structure where one of his stories starts. You don't need all of the... need everything. but But what you did need to know, and he talks about this in his master class, and he talks about tying action to setting... You needed to know how someone would take all of that in when they're in a sweeping space, right? right. So he talks about starting at the floor and having his character's yeah, eyes pan all the way up mm-hmm. to the ceiling mm-hmm. and then show us what that character is seeing. So think about ways that you can show us space through the action of the characters. Right. You know, Louise Penny shows us space or place by showing this dead body laying among the leaves. So, yeah. Which is a very different way of showing us if the dead body was laying in a bed or the dead body was laying. Right. Her being found walking through the, you know, after she had gone through a walk in the woods, found in the leaves is crucial to that story. So if you read the story, you'll understand why. Sure. Because she ends up being killed by a hunter. Mm-hmm. And then you have to find out who did it and why. So... Her dying in the woods was an incredibly important part of that story, right? Yeah. So he shows us her laying in the leaves. The the inspector, we see it through the inspector's gaze. So interesting. One thing Dan Brown talked about, too, though, is if you're using a real place, you you can allow yourself some writer's license. Because I think in the beginning of the Da Vinci Code, they're trapped in the Louvre. But they have to get out somehow, so we put them in a bathroom that really exists with a window, had access to the 
to the outside where he that's throws, not really there, where he throws the bug out, yeah. and then and then. So that bathroom doesn't exist, I don't think. Right. In but, the Louvre, but he used Ryder's license. But you want to give your reader enough mm-hmm. that they're with you on the journey. Sure. You know, so if you've been to the Louvre, he gives you enough detail that you can go, oh, yeah, I've been to the Louvre. This is, woo, right. this is exciting. But then you're like, oh, but I didn't go to the bathroom when I was there. <laughs> and I bet you. Was there a bathroom on the second floor? That there are people <laughs> who now go to the Louvre to go to the bathroom and then they find out it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. But what does exist. Yes is the rose line Mm -hmm. that he talks about in detail. And I was fortunate enough at one point to be in Edinburgh and be able to take a bus because we didn't have a car. We were there for a conference and we didn't have a car, but we took a bus to Roslyn Chapel. Oh, wow. And to go into Roslyn Chapel. And of course, we all wanted to go into the basement. And yeah, you can't do that. Plus it was under construction, but... The family who owns Rosalind Chapel was there that day. Wow. Yeah. So it was all very interesting. That is interesting. You can do, and again, this is probably a pretty geeky thing to do, but you can do literary tourism. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So you can I've go, and there it, are, yes. are places and sites in stories where people do these adventures and this tourism around the Da Vinci Code is one of them. Mm-hmm. It became a huge thing to go and visit all the sites in that. that story. Yeah. Cool. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. All and right. we wouldn't want to do that if place had not been so vital, perfectly drawn and for perfectly us. Drawn. Yeah. That's right. That's we wouldn't right. be as interested in going and doing that kind of tourism or, or travel That's right. around that place. Another way that you can create setting is mood and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Do not tell us it was a dark and windy night. <laughs> Do not open done. your story with dark and windy or it was a Been cold there, and rainy night. That. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Find a Find way. Yeah. If that is important to the story to give us that feeling or that essence without it was a have dark and stormy night. character experience. experience yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have them wet and cold. I mean, you know, or you know, there's just there's more creative ways to to, to describe that. Yeah. Well, I talk. I that. have in. I have a, a rainy scene mm-hmm. in the book that I'm writing, and I have the character in internally thinking about how she's tired and she's wet and she just wants to get this over because her clothes are starting to cling to her uncomfortably. Right. And we've all had that experience, right? Of course. Where we're, we got wet in the rain or we got wet somehow and we're like, oh, I just want to get these wet clothes yeah. off. So that's what I'm trying to convey is her, I just want to be done with this. Could we just get this tire changed so I can move on with my life? Right. You know, so that's fine. That's yes. kind of setting that atmosphere you gave her and you gave her a mood and I gave her a mood without saying you know it was the rain was sheeting down and clung her clothes clung to her uncomfortably Mm -hmm. I have her telling you that okay okay what's next geography okay so you notice in Louise Penny's she doesn't lay out the entire forest she does not give us the mm-hmm. distance between Montreal and this little village. She doesn't tell us how far Jane Neal walked. Right. There's not a lot of geographical detail 
don't need it. There's just enough. Yeah. If it's important, if it's, you know, if you're you're writing a a fan fiction of a James Bond story, Mm -hmm. and you need to have him climbing, you know, a mountain in the Alps, tell us that. But it doesn't have to go on for days. No. You know, just give us enough Mm -hmm. of the geography that we know we're not in New York. That's it. We're in the Alps. Right. And, you know, the jagged rock that he he grabbed for a rock and it slid his hand. That is, yeah. We're there. That is one that people love to go and go and go and describe and describe and describe. Right. And we just don't need it. And the same thing with man-made geography, yeah, with yeah, architecture. Architecture, yes. Yeah, right. we don't... Only if it matters to the story. Only if it matters to the story. You know, I think I've talked about... And it sticks in my head. You know, the bad stories can stick in your head as good... Or as as much as good stories do. Right. The This mission about the attorney's office, where the guy was describing right. in great detail these beautiful old windows in this attorney's office... I did not care. Mm-hmm. And it was not, not important to the story at all. At no. all. So you we talked about the house being a character for me. Right. And I needed to describe it more. I still kept the description of the floor plan of the house to minimal sentences. Yeah. But I did need to describe it more. Just I mean, so that we know how compact, how small this house is. Right. And then when Julie moves through with both Madame Angeline, the medium, and when she moves through ultimately with the killer, mm-hmm. we get a... Con- and when Allison is being held, right? we kind of get an understanding of where she is in that space. Yep. But you didn't need to say Allison is being held in the closet that is off the main, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. It, it's just, you know, she's in, so the, she's closet, in the closet. And she's close enough that she can hear their voices. That's right. And, you, yeah, and hopefully it, by then, you've, you're in the house already. And we know that this is such a small house that pretty much anywhere in the house, she's held in a closet. She's going to be able to hear people talk. That's right. That's right. So. All right. What is next would be, ooh, eras of historical importance. Yeah, we kind of talked about this. We did. Pure writing in the 1800s. We went through that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Use, Use things that would have occurred or would have been in use right during that period so that we truly understand in the Ken Follett story that we talked about the pillars of the earth he describes the case that the stonemason who's building these cathedrals mm-hmm. carries with him okay. and this becomes almost an extension of his body. Right. This case is so precious because these are tools and, you know, in, during medieval times, these tools would have been hard to come by. Right. These tools are his tools of trade. Okay. And so by describing those to us in the way that he does, mm-hmm. we come to a deeper understanding of both the time period, mm-hmm. but the character. Okay. So we're going to talk about character a lot over the coming weeks. Sure. But it's about trying to tie place to your wider story, mm-hmm. to your character. Find a way to bring us in through the character. Right. Rather than just describing a, a street with with carriages and horses and women in hoop skirts and dusty. It's, right. it's about action. Yeah. After I mean, characters doing things. Yeah. So we're like, and okay. Also showing us that at the same time. They're in right. Civil War. They're in, you know, pre-industrialized London. Yeah. 
and that can go on forever, we they don't can. care. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's next? Social, political, cultural environment. We kind of touched on that earlier, too. Yeah, and only if it's important to your story. Yeah, really only if it's important. You know, for your story? Right. We don't care. Politics? If, no. Who's it president? doesn't matter. doesn't matter. No. Unless you want to orient to a time frame, you can reference a president. So if you're writing a story that's set in the Great Depression, yep. you can reference a president. And then we're oriented. Right. Again, only mention that if you're trying to, if it's important, right? That your reader has an idea of the size of the place. That's it. And if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, right? You know, so you don't need I, to go. Mine is set in a small town, but I never say. I yeah, because we all there. know what a small town is. That's all you need. That's all you need. She's yeah. coming from big city Atlanta, moving back to small town. A lot of people don't ever want to do that, right? And that sets the tone for part of her. Character. Yeah. And then the last one is ancestral influences. So my one of my writing group, not the group that I'm in with Judd, but another writing group that mm-hmm. I'm in, that writer is writing a story that begins in Italy. Okay. And the family comes migrates to America. Okay. And those ancestral influences, because it's her story is about three generations of Italian women. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's incredibly important that we understand that underpinning, that ancestral underpinning, because it shapes the way these women make their choices and their decisions through life. I guess in my story, it's a little bit important because they're Southern. So there's some of that Southern influence, but it's not, I'm not like hammering it home. Mm -hmm. In your story, doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. Bit. The only way that, that we could even consider ancestral influence in your story is that Julie's mother is right. mentally ill. Right. And Julie is worried at some point that she also might be mentally That's ill. That's right. But other than that, it's not an important... It has nothing to do with culture. No. And so why would you bring it into your story... Right. And especially now, I think writers feel like that they have to bring in some of those cultural or social, and they'll throw in, and this is the worst, to me this is just the worst, when you throw in an LBGQT character. Just because that's the popular thing to do? Because it's a popular thing to do. Or because you feel like if you don't have one of those characters in your story... It might not be read or it might not be. And if you don't have, you know, a equal distribution of race throughout your story, it might be ignored or right. it might not be. Or if your story is, if you are an Asian writer and you want to make your story more palatable, so you add characters to your story that you think is going to give it a wider readership, don't do that. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Stay true to your story. That's it. And if it's beautifully written mm-hmm. and it's well-crafted, it's going to find an audience. And you don't have to add those political, social, you know, qualities that you feel like you have to add because it, it's popular or right. it's following a trend or whatever. Just don't the, do it. No, and, and, and on the other side of that, Greg Isle's most recent book, he just came through town. Right. Did an author event. There's a character in that book... 
I have yet to read it, but I've I've heard yeah. um, who is bashing the current president. It's just a matter of five pages in the book. But if you go to his if you go to his reviews on Amazon right now, they are low. They are low star reviews because and it's of all, that. It's an organized effort uh, by by, by um, a political faction right. to bring his book down. It has nothing to do with the quality of the book or the story right. or anything like that. But so that's important careful. to his story, so he put it in there. That's right. So he did it at risk. Yeah. And he's risked some reviews. With that, didn't he talk about that when he was? I think he may have mentioned, may have mentioned did. it, but did. we didn't realize at the time because the book had just come out. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. Be so, wary if you if, you know. A lot of us are creative and have our opinions. We want to include in what we what we create, yeah. but just be wary of the consequences. The of consequences that, of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And it's up to you as the writer. That's right. To decide how you want to go on that. That's exactly right. Yeah. So these are all ways. You can create setting in your story. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we'll be talking about tools for writing and some of the apps we use to be more productive. See you next week. If you found the information in this podcast useful and you want even more help with your book, jump over to our Patreon page at patreon slash yourfirst15pages.com to find ways you can subscribe to the show notes for each podcast that include all the references we mention each week, worksheets, mini classes, and much more. And if you're looking for a supportive writing community, subscribe to the publisher tier on Patreon and you'll get access to a tribe of writers who will help you make your book a reality. And if you're looking for even more help with your book, subscribe to the bestseller tier and you can join Judd and I on a monthly coaching call. Thanks for listening and join us next time for Your First 15 Pages, the podcast that turns writers into authors.